Hey, this is Sherry Foos, founder of The Narrative Method. If you're wanting to learn how to embrace change and navigate through disruption as a leader, then listen to the Leadership is Changing podcast with my good friend, Dennis Giannoutsas. Welcome to Leadership is Changing. Each week, we and our guests provide information and insights through exploring leading change. This is taking your leadership to another level by finding the balance between executive excellence and personal well-being through stories that inspire real change. It's time to adapt in our fast-moving world when leadership is changing with your host, Dennis Giannoutsas. Hey, welcome to the show, Leadership is Changing. What we as leaders know to be true is that change is constant. Leaders everywhere confront similar obstacles because people are people, but everywhere you go, leaders are overwhelmed, disrupted, and under pressure. They run from email to email, meeting to meeting. Many leaders are not changing quick enough, which means they run the risk of becoming irrelevant and being left behind. So perhaps the show is taking our listeners' leadership to another level by finding their balance between executive excellence and personal well-being through stories that inspire real change. I believe we don't have enough effective leaders in the world today, and if we can get the leaders to step up and lead change, then they can inspire real change. Hey listeners, it's now time to adapt in our fast-moving world. Welcome to today's episode. Great to have you here with us, and I just want to welcome you. And I've got a wonderful guest with me here today. Her name is Sherry Foos, and she's a licensed marriage and family therapist who holds a Master of Arts in Clinical Psychology and a Master of Science in Narrative Medicine. Sought-after expert on subjects of relationships and meaningful connection, her writing and commentary have appeared in a range of online and print publications. The Narrative Method is a non-profit organization that has founded in 2014 to connect diverse people to themselves and each other through personal storytelling and connective experiences. Sherry, a massive welcome to you. Thank you. Great to be here. Thank you. Whereabouts in the world are you today? I'm in Los Angeles. Yeah. A little place you may have heard of that. <laughs> we actually had almost two weeks of rain recently, so we're temporarily changing our story. Oh, wow. Wow, wow. We all need the water, so that's important. So yeah, that's all good. Hey, tell me, I've given the listeners a little bit of a brief sort of introduction to you and your background. Tell me, is there anything else you'd like to share about your background? I guess just to give a context of how I got here, which I think, you know, when we share some vulnerability, it allows people in to understand us. And particularly when we're in front of people who have achieved so much that, you know, when I I may feel outrageous awe and the gap between this incredibly accomplished person and myself until they tell me something real, something vulnerable. And then instantly the the level playing field, because at the end of the day, none of our accomplishments or successes or gifts can compensate for the fact that we've all had a survived life. And when we meet in that place, we feel the connection that brings meaning to our lives. Boom. Hey, listeners, fantastic what Sherry's just shared off straight away off the blocks um, because that is wonderful what you're saying. Look, I, I think that what you shared about being real is so important for leaders. People have got, how can I say this, like a BS radar out there. They can see whether someone's not being real. And Sherry, recently I've just, uh, I do a freestyle episode once a week as well. And I talked about take both masks off. In other words, leaders, we've got this COVID mask that we're having to wear. And this is another mask that other people will actually hide behind. 
and I see that they're not being real. And when people actually understand who they are, it's really nice to see it actually happen. But it takes a long time to get to that point. And I would offer to people that when you're in the presence of someone who won't or can't or refuses to be real, in addition to whatever legitimate frustration you may feel, take a step back and realize that they are leading with their wound and they can't get any closer because they don't yet have the tools to do that. And maybe they're not on a path. Maybe they're not seeking to open up. But regardless of your motivation, if you can get there, it's a good thing. So if you're doing it just to make money, whatever, we'll take it. When a leader who is a parental figure in in some ways, whether or not they want that to be the case, when the leader says a word of encouragement, when a leader sees you for who you really are, despite your flaw or because of your flaw or, or whatever that takes, once you begin to infuse your humanity in the workplace, now all bets are off because we've all been programmed to think that it's not really safe to be who you are. But if you're restricting parts of yourself, you're also restricting your ideas and your creativity. Those things do take a risk. And that risk is tied up in your vulnerability. And your vulnerability is tied up in your defenses. Oh. So if you can coax them into feeling comfortable, treat them like the little babies that were wounded that, that they are, and then maybe they'll talk to you and get reintegrated. Very good. So, Sherry, I see that a lot of people, they tend to get a hang-up about the word networking. In other words, going out and meeting new people and relationships. What you've just been sharing, is that one of the reasons why people sort of have a hard time or feel uncomfortable about meeting new people and networking? I, I also think, and I had a visceral reaction to the word networking when you said that as well. Not because everybody, of course, wants to meet more and more people. Everybody wants to come closer to their goals. The idea of networking is very different from the idea of being real. The idea of networking means I'm going to make a connection with you to see what you can do for me. Maybe we can do something for each other. Maybe we have love in our heart. All that is is fine, but it's got an ulterior motive. Whereas connecting human to human, the only motivation is to connect. It is that process of giving ourselves over to who we each really are in this moment. That is the only goal. So when you're networking, there's a lot to lose. The person may not like you. You may say the wrong thing. All of those kinds of issues. So I think I would invite people to look at the importance and power of professional relationships in a different way more through the lens of, you know what, this is your life. You're probably spending more of your time doing this than you are hanging out with your friends and family. So let's make it beautiful. Let's make it worthwhile. Let's make it give you so much purpose and sense of doing what you were really put here on earth to do by yourself or whatever you may believe in, which is to manifest your talents and your passions. Yeah, I, I think what you've just said, I mean, all of it is brilliant and fascinating. And then what you just said there at the end there about our talents, the what we've been put on the earth to do. It's wonderful to see people go out and do what they've been wanting to do. But then I know there's a whole lot of people out there right now who are holding back and they're not actually giving everything. And I think there is part of me that thinks that sometimes we need to do this because there's just one person out there that may need what we've got to offer. And that one person, it could be life-changing for them. And if we can just share that and feel free and comfortable to do that, that's going to be just a beautiful thing to see. 
I agree. And I would also open up that idea to extend it to this, that that person out there that just needs to hear this word of encouragement may not be a person who has never trusted themselves, never manifested anything, you know, just like be under the blankets crying. That person might be me at a certain moment during a certain day, because there's no there that you arrive at and then you're good. Mm -hmm. Ongoing work. Life's still going to keep happening. You're going to have disappointments and losses and grieving and joys and We can't control, nor should we expect that everything is going to go smoothly. But what we do have some control over is the way that we choose to think about and explore and understand the events of our lives, what has happened to us, and who we are underneath the things that have happened and the things that we have been told about ourselves. Brilliant. Thank you. Thanks for sharing this. This is, this is wonderful. Sherry, tell me, in my introduction to the listeners, I talked about the fact that you have a nonprofit organization called The Narrative Method, and we talked about storytelling in the introduction. Tell us a little bit more about The Narrative Method. What is it? What is it? What does it mean and how does it work? The Narrative Method creates programs, products, and experiences that connect people deeply and quickly through sharing the stories of their lives. Basically do this in two different ways, in writing groups and in conversation groups. So in addition to working with companies and universities, we work with individuals who just bring themselves. We have free Zoom-ins every week. We're always adding more. And it's a fun and profound experience of looking at, let's say, a short video or a piece of art or a big idea. And then we build upon that idea with offering a prompt based on one of the narrative methods, 12 core concepts. And then people go into breakout rooms if it's conversation or they go write if it's writing. And then we come back and and share. And because we bypass small talk, and it's interesting, people tend to think of small talk as a way to kind of sniff around and get comfortable. But I think small talk is a little bit more like networking. There's a pressure to know the game. And if you're new to that environment, you may not know the game and be worried about saying or doing the wrong thing. Mm. When we're talking about who we really are, it's different. Mm. We're talking about who we really are. First of all, you don't always have to be articulate. You don't always have to even know exactly what you're feeling or what you're trying to say because it's so big and complex that it always requires thought in real time. It's not like some memorized story. And so when we go there with other people, every time we look at our story anew, there's an opportunity to get a fresh perspective, especially if it's one of those stories that you've told so many times that, you know, you don't really have to connect in order to tell it. Yep. There are certain bummers that happen in life that become <laughs> such great stories they are worth it, you know? Yep. But that's not the same as having a memory evoked that you hadn't thought of in a very long time. And all of a sudden, in the context of another time and place, you realize, I can't believe I was upset because that person didn't take care of me in that that situation. That was my childhood perception. And I have been carrying the story forward with, with that idea. So it's an opportunity to upgrade and reboot. Every time you tie the knot on little hanging pieces from old stories, there's a part of you that's got more clarity and you have more space to do new things. 
Oh, wow. I'm just sitting here taking notes. I think it's it's awesome. Listeners, hope you're taking notes because this is wonderful stuff. Sherry, you, you said something with me just before to all of us, the listeners and myself, and I, I, I think, you know, I wrote this note, being real makes impact. It's a huge thing that it makes a lot of impact. And storytelling, I think a lot of leaders can, there, there are people out there who communicate and talk, they're talking heads up front. Uh, those who can actually connect through storytelling and taking people on the journey, they're the ones that I think are the more effective leaders. They're the ones that people go, ah, now I get it and buy into things. And I think storytelling is really very powerful. If I, if the listeners are at a, at a level now whereby they're doing, they're at an executive level, or even if they're a frontline level leader, what would, what would be one thing that you would say to them about storytelling? What, where should they start? What should they do? I would say, well, we have cards, actually. I want to give you ideas that don't involve calling me, but just FYI, we have created uh, decks of what we call DIY human conversation cards, which are designed for you to create your own group. You could use them as writing prompts as well. But in other words, to start stories with curiosity and questions that nobody cares what your damn favorite color is, but go deep. Let yourself wander into your depths to discover what you're really curious about if you're going to invite somebody to tell you a story. You know, these things can often just happen very naturally. But with a prompt, it's an opportunity for both people to be involved at the same level. You don't have to have that hierarchical thing. And when my boss or someone I look up to is telling me how they got there rather than that they got there, there's something for me to attach to, oh, wow. So even though your school situation was so fraught, you were able to work with it by telling yourself this, whatever those things are that show me your humanity and show me your process. How do you not love somebody when they're being real? Yep. 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 And I, I, you know, even if I think about social media and if somebody, myself personally, if I put a post up and it's more business oriented, yes, that gets a lot of traction. But when I put something up there about me, and I was telling you yourself, I was telling you before about the journey with the voice and the tumor and so forth. When I put up there recently, that it was a five year anniversary of actually having been removed. It went mental. It just went because it was about me and it was real and people want to know that kind of stuff about other people. And I think it's, it's going, there's a great example of what you've just been talking about and how it actually can go like wildfire. Yeah. Well, I think they also went crazy because they're connected to you. Yeah. Okay. How did you get into leadership? I think I had this thing that called me. And from the time I was a child, I was writing sort of, I hate to use this word, it makes it sound too sophisticated, but I mean, I think I thought I had something to teach. So I was writing, you know, philosophy or something in in a very childish way. And I discovered very early, it was a survival tool as well, but I always had a very comfortable sense of humor. I could make people laugh. And so as I got older, I honed these performance and improvisational skills with connecting very deeply. And among the things I've discovered is that when we can laugh in general and laugh at our common humanity and foibles, it's a whole lot easier to go deep. And go that deep without the comic relief. Because at the end of the day, most of our struggles are universal enough that we could just sit back and believe it. I, I did this or we do this or, and being able to take that step back makes it possible 
to do the hard work in order to stay focused. But without that kind of relief, I don't know how people can, you know, climb mountains. Yep. Yeah, totally, totally. And that relief is really, really important. I think humor, as long as it's not at the expense of someone else, but, you know, humor is really important to have. And yeah, I think that's really good. And you're so right. It just sort of like releases the valve, right? And just allows things to be a lot easier and a lot better, and which is all good. And it's really, I mean, humor is a perspective. When you, we all, we all have a tendency to have these negative thought loops. You know, we yep. don't have it. Why you, you shouldn't have been, you know, maybe some are nagging. Honey, don't you think you shouldn't? You know, whatever tones these negative thought loops take, you better believe we all have them. And they seem very serious to us and they are blocking us from moving forward. But when you take a bigger perspective and appreciate, first of all, they're doing the best they can. They're just little undeveloped parts of yourself that became defenses because unconsciously you didn't know how to deal with that kind of pain. Yep. As you get older and you can laugh about it and you realize, you know what? If somebody tells me my hair looks bad or something that may have hurt your feelings when you were a young child, I can survive it. In fact, maybe I'll agree with them or or whatever. I don't need that automatic defense in place anymore. Right. But as you really go through these things, you start to realize, I don't need half of these things. This kind of protection is unessential. I'm an adult now. I can, I can hang with it. Yeah, cool. Very good. Very good. Awesome. Here's another question for you. And this person can be from alive or from history. I was just about to say, could be from alive. It's from, they can either be alive or from history. Who's your favorite leader and why? Mm, I guess I would say Mandela mm. because he did the impossible. He, I can't imagine what his self-talk might have been, but I know he had wonderful parents who helped create a foundation of faith and trust and belief that, you know, I'm going to do the right thing and the world will fall in place. I mean, he was a giant and proved out that peace and love win. And he was a giant and he still continues to be a giant and he's not even alive. It's just wonderful to see what he's done. And yeah, just imagine all the negative loops, the thoughts, everything that was going through his mind when he was in, in prison, right? I mean, it, it's huge. Well, just imagine the, the insult, the constant mm. insult to your person and to be able to look at it from a far different perspective. Yep. Not take it per- and become friends with your jailer. Get out of here. Yeah, amazing. Here's a question I'm just going to throw at you. Just see what you you think about this. But if you were sitting on a park bench with Nelson Mandela, what would be a question you might ask him? How do you stay so thin? (laughs) Well, there you go. There's the humor, but it's a great question. Yeah, how does he stay so thin? Yeah, it's very good. Yeah, nice. Well done. Do you want want a a better question? No, Uh, no, that's good. Okay. Yeah. Tell me, the show here is called Leadership is Changing. When I say that title or that statement, what does that mean to you? It just means to me that the whole notion about what is power, what is a positive influence, what gets us motivated and going is now coming from a far more sophisticated understanding, not just of what motivates us, 
but of what it means to be human in a time like now when we are on one hand, on a daily basis, just dealing with miracles, the miracles of being able to learn anything in a split second. Come on, that's wonderful. And the travesty and tragedies that we are also witnessing every day. So given the state of the earth and the challenges of climate and politics and all of those things, there's no way that I can justify my life without saying things need to become more humanistic, more open-minded, and more genius. If you can do a surgery without making a cut in a person, if people can survive. I just had a friend who overcame pancreatic cancer. Wow. Some of the great feats, whether in science, in sports, or any other field in the world, are really possible. If we can go to other planets, if we are looking now at flying cars, surely we can connect. Surely we can find ways to appreciate other human beings despite our differences. And the reason it's really easy is because almost everybody, except for a few narcissists or the rare person who truly does have a mental disability, everyone has empathy. Everyone has the need to use it and receive it. We're halfway there, but we just haven't all been given the tools. So the idea that leadership is changing gives me faith that those who are guiding us have a new wisdom and a reboot to what success looks like. It's not just about me getting all the stuff. It's about finding a way for you to be rewarded for your work for sure, to inspire other people to do it, but to have yet another purpose that goes beyond our individual needs that makes that product or service valid. It's yep. got to have another purpose. Yep, yep, yep. And I think that not to dismiss those who have gone through it or those who people have passed away from it, but the COVID side of things, the pandemic, has really been, I think, a big wake-up call for a lot of people in the sense that life is fragile and that, you know, what we do every day doesn't mean it's going to be permanent. And then we also need to change quickly and we need to get on with things because if we don't, and in my, in my actual introduction of the show, I talk about leaders, organizations the same. If they're not changing quick enough, they run the risk of becoming irrelevant and being left behind. And they don't want that. And so I think what you've been sharing there is really important for people to understand that they we can connect with others, we can learn from others, we can grow from others, but they can also connect with us and learn from us and grow from us as well. And so if we can do that, it's good. And you've mentioned it a couple of times, maybe even three times already on the episode, and that is if we have the tools and if we've got the tools to do that. And I think that uh, people need to find the tools to help them move through and move forward, which is really important. I think one of the most important type of tool is a tool for self-soothing. As you know, we often treat ourselves as though we're in our own army. Come on, get it together. Exercise. Eat. Don't. Well, hang on a second. There's a whole bunch of us inside this one being, and we're not all on board. Some of us don't even want to get out of bed, much less go work out. I think the capacity to attend to different parts of ourselves, the parts that don't feel like going along with the program right now, is really important in terms 
of staying whole. For instance, we teach an exercise which many traditions use, which I I just call hand to heart, which is if you take your dominant hand and put it on your heart just long enough to start feeling your heartbeat, that dominant hand is like the grown-up you. That's the you that handles everything that you've ever handled. You didn't know how you were going to handle it, but you figured it out. It's the most together leader within all of your, your parts. But from the inside, the vulnerable you feels that strength and can relax. So the defenses don't have to cry and scream and you know kick their feet. Whatever you can do to develop more and more tools like this that you can do any place at any time, we have lots of them. And I think that is what we need because life in 2022 is a constant onslaught from all kinds of unwelcome voices telling us we're not good enough. And that is really one of the core drivers behind the the narrative method is to understand that this thing I call the cult of culture, the constant onslaught, media, social media, institutions, everything, as well as everyone you know, because we've all been victim of it. That is the biggest factor in our psychology, sociology. It's not your family of origin or what happened. It's all those things matter, of course. But this is something that started when you were in utero and continued when you were an infant and a young child before you had any capacity to understand or defend yourself or say, look, I know that buying this soap isn't going to make me happier. But this stuff infiltrated us and continues to do so in overt and subliminal ways. So we need to know that these feelings of defectiveness that every single person you know has because nobody's attractive enough or smart enough, good enough, successful, you know, everything. Go down the line of, of all we aspire to be. The pandemic has given us something so ironic, which is it is the one vulnerability that nobody has to be ashamed for having caused that we all share. So when we come together and, and can say, you know, I have also been made to feel not good enough by the cult of culture. And I feel like I'm, you know, not as smart as some people and not as productive or or whatever those things are. And then you hear other people in a group say something that is essentially the same. Now, here's some, I never met this person. You are speaking my vulnerability that proves that it can't just be my personal defect. Yep. Once you realize that we are all in that part together, 50% of your personal shame and insecurity sort of vanish because it's not yours. And that's healing. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. It is healing. It's very good. Very good indeed. Sherry, I'm loving what you're sharing. And the next question here is what, you know, we're in a fast paced, ever changing world. What makes a leader successful today in that world? I think being holistic. Mm. So being clear about the business and what those goals are and being clear about the how mm. and, and the people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. Very good. So being holistic. So it's the whole area. It's the big picture. It's everything, not just one little area. And yeah, that's very good. Yeah, cool. I love that. Now, you and I have been talking about leadership and we've been talking about things from the lens of leadership, from a leader's perspective, possibly. If we can switch tax now and start talking about from the lens of an employee, How have employees' expectations of leaders changed? Wow, so much. The great Mm. resignation. 
And that is something, again, back to the ironic upsides of the pandemic. People were lonely and disconnected and had to say, is this all there is? That's a good thing. And so we'll see how that pans out over time. But if nothing else, some people who would never have bet on themselves went ahead and did that. And for that, wonderful. Let, let's see what it leads to. I think now people want to work either for themselves or for a company or for a cause with meaning and purpose. Because we realize this is it. These are our lives. They can end. They do end. The world is so fragile right now. There's not time to waste feeling like we're just hanging out disconnected to ourselves and whatever our calling may be. And, you know, not everybody feels a sense of that there is a calling or or what I'm supposed to do. I've sat with many people in private practice that feel like I don't even know what I like. I don't I don't I don't know my passion. And I would really urge people because that's a horrible feeling. It really feels very, very all over the place. But I would urge you when you're in that place, because everybody gets there at times and just feels like this is all BS. I don't know what anything means. But when you're in that place, also realize that it is a Petri dish of possibility. And it's from not knowing that anything is possible. So I'm going to give you a little tool that might help you if you're in a place of feeling like I have no idea what I like or what I should do in my life. Number one, the first thing is just believe that not only are you not alone in that feeling of disconnectedness, but that everybody goes through that at times. Thank goodness, because it's a way to reassess. But here's a way to start figuring it out. Get a college catalog from anywhere and get a piece of paper and look at every single category, every field of thought. And just write down yes or no, if you have any interest at all. For example, we need to go beyond what we used to think we thought. And we come to conclusions for all kinds of reasons. Like my math teacher was boring. I don't like math. Right. Science was hard. I'm mad at science. Well, all of the things that I didn't learn as a kid, unfortunately, because either I couldn't focus or it it wasn't taught maybe in the best way. I am in love with so many fascinating subjects now that I wouldn't have known. So this is a way to reconnect with who you are underneath all of those ideas that you have formed. Now that you're sitting with, having gone through the whole catalog, realize, oh my God, I mean, I don't know if I'll use it. I don't have to worry about any practicality. But now that I see myself in a broader range of interests, now I can start to ask some really different kinds of questions like, what are some of my wildest fantasies of things that I would like to do both professionally and creatively and travel, whatever. So it's almost like you begin a process of interviewing yourself. And the whole trick is to let go of the beliefs and assumptions that you formed before, because this is a new time. Yeah, I I love it because I think also what people do is they start to reason themselves or they start talking themselves out of doing something because of what you just said, right? Oh, my math teacher was boring and I don't want to do that. 
Yet again, if we sort of get out of our way a little bit and allow this process to happen and trust the process, it's quite cool to see it happen. Now, just for our listeners as well, when you see college catalog, for some countries, there might be university catalog. In other words, it's a booklet that actually has all the different subjects that this university or college can offer. So then that actually, for me, it's actually a, it's a, it's a catalyst or it's a thing that actually sort of spark an idea to give you a little bit of awareness without you having to think for it yourself. And the other thing I think what it does, Shari, is that it probably raises your awareness around a topic. Exactly. Once your awareness is like, I'm going to go and buy a red car. And next minute you start seeing red cars everywhere, right? It's the same thing as well. It's like a menu. That's it. And when you look at a university catalog now compared to years ago, you will discover there's all this other stuff. Narrative medicine, which I studied, was something I had not been aware of prior. It's only, the field's only been around about 30 years. So it's also interesting to see that certain things that maybe you did have an interest in, or even something that maybe you wondered, like, why isn't there a such and such? Just to realize that you're not the only one that wished that there was a such and such. So it's really an invitation to be engaged in a new way in the world. Nice. Narrative medicine, what, what do you mean by narrative medicine? What is that for our listeners? Well, narrative medicine um, was conceived by a medical doctor at Columbia University named Rita Sharon who then did a PhD in literature because she was also a literature person and conceived that through studying literature and identifying with characters, doctors could be taught empathy. And that's exactly what it is. It's very multidisciplinary and fascinating and rooted in social justice. But that's really what it is essentially. And so that whether it's identifying with a character in a great novel or it's taking the time to make eye contact with and talk to your patient. The impact with huge amounts of research, eye contact alone, getting to know something about your patient alone, those tiny things increase the patient's compliance with protocols, but they also get better faster. So when I was a kid and and the doctor came over with a big black bag with like toys inside, basically, they didn't have anything. You know, they didn't have equipment. They couldn't measure anything. But the guy sat on the edge of your bed and maybe touched your arm and you felt confident that somebody was taking care of you. It's the same kind of thing. For doctors themselves, it's very sad because they are no longer provided a lot of the opportunities to spend more time with people. It's so expensive and they have the insurance and all all of those kinds of issues. But in broad strokes, the whole idea of it is just so absolutely beautiful and can very well be extrapolated into business and other relationships. Yeah, the way when you've been talking about that, I've been thinking, oh, okay. So in other words, we're talking about the bedside manner that we sometimes talk about with doctors and making that better. But I think it this also relates to leaders. It's not just doctors, it's also leaders, whether they have eye contact and all that too. So yeah, it's very good. Sherry, I'm going to get you to get your crystal ball out as we bring this all to a close. If I get your crystal ball out to think about the future, where do you see leadership being in five years? I can tell you what I hope. I just hope that more and more People embrace diversity in all contexts, diversity of background, gender, and all of the things that we talk about overtly, but also diversity in terms of possibility and methodologies and thinking not just 
about how we can use the tools that we have, but dreaming about a better future and creating tools based on those dreams. Yep. We need to dream more. And leaders, if you are not dreaming and thinking about things and having that vision about where you want to go, I'm not talking about a company vision. I'm talking about a dream or a vision where you want maybe that end picture where you want to go to. Keep dreaming, leaders, because we need to keep dreaming because that's what our, 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 our employees need, our businesses need, what our customers need. We all need that for sure, which is really cool. So keep dreaming. Embrace diversity in all possibilities. I think that's really quite cool. Sherry, thank you for joining us on today's show. If our listeners are wanting to get hold of you, where should they go? They should go to thenarrativemethod.org. We have free events that you can sign up for. We have cards that you can use on your own. And we, we do work with companies, universities, and creating programs. We have existing programs. And everything is designed to connect people deeply through sharing the stories of their lives. Awesome. Sherry, once again, thank you for joining me on today's show. Thank you so much. I love being with you. Awesome. Thank you. Listeners, hey, if you haven't already checked out the Facebook group or the LinkedIn page, Leadership is Changing, we would love to see you there. Come along and join us in that community. Hey, listeners, what we as leaders know to be true is that change is constant. Change is incredibly scary, especially with the unknown and unfamiliar territory. It's time to adapt in our fast-moving world when leadership is changing. Look out for the episodes as they're being released. Download them, have a listen, put a review and a rating. Feel free to share them with your friends, your family, and your network. Hey, if there's any feedback you'd like to give me about the show, or if there's a question you have for the Ask Dennis Freestyle episode, then send me an email, dennis at leadingchangepartners.com. Hey, listeners, it's always a pleasure being with you. Thanks for tuning in. Until next time, bye for now. Thank you for listening to this episode of Leadership is Changing with your host, Dennis Giannoutsas. Each week, we and our guests provide information and insights through exploring leading change, inspiring executives and leaders to adapt and lead a bigger game in a fast-moving world. 